Good morning, y'all. Merry Christmas. Sorry about that scripture passage. I mean, it was read beautifully, don't get me wrong, but I don't know what Casey was thinking when he said I could choose the passage. (laughs) Happy Golden Rings Day. It's the fifth day of Christmas. This is important in my house. Last year, my daughter learned the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, which was very exciting because we heard it a lot. For those of you who know my daughter, you know that when she's into something, she is all in. And when I explained to her about the season of Christmas, the 12 days from Christmas to Epiphany, she did a little quick calculating and realized that her birthday falls on Ladies Dancing Day. And this is fantastic because we can celebrate with a lot of dancing. And she was not born on Piper's Piping Day or Drummer's Drumming Day. (laughs) Anyway, happy Golden Rings Day. Once again this year, no golden rings from my true love. (sighs) But to be fair, I've also never received a ruling on whether or not you can pick and choose those gifts. And I would just as soon let the five golden rings go if I also would have had to have taken the calling birds and the French hens and the turtle doves and the partridge. But I would take a pear tree. Merry Christmas. So this scripture, not super Christmassy, not very Hallmark. Merry Christmas, have a dose of terror and death. Casey, you really need to vet your preachers better than this. You got someone who's got a little touch of grinchiness up here to preach a Christmas sermon. And I am, I am a bit of a grinch. I am, I confess, a Christmas failure. I didn't bake a single thing this year. I was grouchy about decorating the house. I did almost all my shopping on Christmas Eve. I didn't even use wrapping paper. I relied entirely on gift bags and tissue paper. And I know that I could, standing up here, claim that, gosh, what a weird year. It was so rushed. Um, But I don't want to lie to you from here. This is just how I roll at Christmas. I never plan it this way, but there it is. I wage my own little private war on Christmas each year. It's nothing to do with Starbucks cops or how cashiers greet us in the stores. It's it's just more to do with the super sentimental songs and don't stone me here, but the Hallmark movies. I know I'm stepping on toes. I know there's a whole host of you out there who love that stuff. And that's great for you. For those of you who know about the Enneagram, I'm a five like the fiveiest five you will ever meet, which means I'm allergic to sentimentality. I overthink everything. And while I can and do deal with anyone else's feelings, and I am honored to walk that journey with my college students on a regular basis, I treat my own feelings like they're a bomb that might go off at any moment, just sort of back away from them slowly, don't make any sudden moves. They're scary and dangerous and unpredictable. So the sentiment. I have a hard time celebrating Christmas because there's just so much 
hard and terrible stuff happening in the world. I just don't really know how to celebrate and also pay attention to the news. I don't really know how to counsel students in my office who have been rejected by their families and then turn around and sing songs about how great it is to be with family at the holidays. But that's my problem, not yours. Blame Casey. Anyway, that scripture passage. It is the lectionary text for today. And the more I read it, the more I think it is important to dive into it, to explore how it might actually connect to what we do say Christmas is about. Still, it doesn't feel like good news. The birth has happened, the wise men have come and gone, and now there are people trying to kill the baby Jesus. And aside from the admittedly very important fact that he does survive the ordeal, there's not a lot of other good news in this story, especially for all those other families whose babies and toddlers died in case they were the Messiah. All these families suffering, and Jesus' family flees the scene. And we want to send our focus with them, right? That's, that's where we want to look. It's, it's like the story of Noah, where we focus really, really hard on the ark and the survivors, and we avert our gaze from all those others who died for reasons that they really couldn't have understood. Don't blame Casey, blame Matthew. Have you ever wondered why this story is even included? It only shows up in Matthew's gospel. Why did he record it? God doesn't exactly come off looking great here. The infant is vulnerable and weak, depending on humans to survive and has to be spirited away to Egypt. And then God does nothing to stop the massacre behind them. We wouldn't know about this if Matthew hadn't told us, and I would have been okay with that. Luke, Luke, Luke gives us angel choirs and, and shepherds by night. Luke gives us Mary's Magnificat. Luke goes all out to celebrate God's presence in the story of Jesus' birth. Matthew seems to go the opposite way. Trouble starts and God flees the scene. Where is God in this passage? What truth about God is Matthew trying to tell us here? Because it can't be what it looks like. I think to get there, we have to do what we really don't want to do. We have to look directly at it and allow ourselves to feel some of the terror of it. I'll say the closest I have come to feeling terror true terror for the life of my own child was when she was just a few months old. I was getting ready to leave for work one morning. I was leaving her at home with Ken. I had a workshop I had to attend on campus. I looked out the window. It was raining hard. It had been for a while. I was a little grumbly about that. I picked her up to kiss her goodbye and then looked back out the window. And in the time that it had taken to do that, Outside was pitch black, all of a sudden. The wind started blowing so hard that the house was shaking. I could hear things hitting the house. And I stood rooted to the floor, holding my tiny child tight, trying to close my body around her as though she were still in the womb, to protect her 
I'm from Georgia. I knew, I know about tornadoes. I, I thought that's what this had to be. The house shuddered. I, I could hear loud cracks from the trees outside. And then it was over. And the sky lightened up again. And the rain continued, but the wind was gone. There were large limbs in our yard from trees that were nowhere near our property. On a nearby farm, half of a barn had been demolished. It looked like sticks. The other half was untouched. Trees on our campus, they were shorn off like a giant saw had just come through, leaving stumps behind. I found out later it was something called a microburst, which is something I still don't particularly understand and would really rather never experience again. But despite the destruction to the landscape, and despite the fact that clearly the memory of it is still etched and will be etched in my bones, the storm itself was over very quickly, and thanks be to God, no one got hurt. What I am privileged to have never had to experience is the fear of intentional harm being done to my family or to my child. Never had to flee for my own life or to save my family, like Joseph and Mary did, like so many around the world still have to do today, running from the homes they know, hoping and praying that wherever they end up, it will be safer than the place they leave behind. Across the street today at the UCC, my colleague Andrew, Mars Hill's other chaplain, is actually preaching this same scripture. And he's telling stories today from a trip he took with students over fall break down to Georgia to the Stewart Detention Center where they met and spent time with some of the detainees who were waiting and waiting to find out if they would be deported back to the land they had left behind. And they did some service there for families of people detained at Stewart who had traveled some really long distances to try to see their loved ones. And in March, he and I are taking a group to the border in Texas, where we'll work with a CBF mission there, doing whatever we can to show the love of Christ to exhausted and frightened and bewildered people who came looking for something better and safer than what they left behind. And of course, I'm thinking about this as I read of Joseph and Mary fleeing their home to keep Jesus safe, taking refuge in a land not their own, hoping for the best, knowing that they have been entrusted with this child. How terrifying that must have been. And of course, I'm thinking of those who weren't able to get out and of those who were forced to return knowing it wasn't safe. Where is God in this passage? Where is God in these stories of today? I think we have to ask that question seriously. I think it gets us close to what Matthew does want us to understand. Because you see, God arrived in flesh as an infant, but that arrival didn't fix everything. It didn't cast a soft, holy glow over all the earth. It didn't return us to Eden. It didn't stop people from being horrible to each other. It didn't bring an end to war. It didn't wipe away every tear. But somehow, this is still 
Emmanuel, God with us. And if we listen to Matthew, God is all over this story. In the first two chapters of Matthew, we read five references to prophets and five references to dreams. God is everywhere in this, and Matthew wants us to know it, even if it doesn't feel like it. We hear that prophecies have been fulfilled of the virgin birth, of Bethlehem being the birthplace. And in the passage today, yes, of the flight to Egypt, of the massacre, and of the resettling in a new home in Nazareth. Joseph, the dreamer, much like the Joseph of Genesis, hears from God as he sleeps. He dreams that he should stay with Mary because the child she carries is from the Holy Spirit and is Emmanuel. He dreams that they should flee to Egypt, and he got up and immediately obeyed. He dreamed that it was safe to return to Israel after Herod had died, and again, dreamed that he should take the family to live in Galilee. God spoke to the wise men in dreams, too. They, they dreamed that Herod was dangerous and that they should not return to him as they, had been, as they had promised him, but instead go back home by another road. And they did just that. God had spoken in the past through prophets, and God still spoke directly through dreams. God's fingerprints are all over this story, as unlikely as it seems. So then where does that leave us? Where does it leave me, a kind of grinchy Christmas failure? I think, maybe, it's easy for us to get mixed up about Christmas. I think sometimes we think we have to manufacture the appropriate emotions to go along with the preparations and the celebrations, that we have to feel the wonder and the joy and the peace and all of those glowing feelings. And it, that if we don't, we have somehow failed. But maybe, maybe, it's okay if we're not totally okay. Maybe it's okay if sometimes our attention has to be on surviving on doing the best we can in the moment with what we have. And maybe it's also okay to celebrate in the midst of a messy, chaotic world that is broken and also beautiful, violent and also good, destructive and also somehow reflective of the image of God. Maybe an imperfect celebration is actually okay. Maybe it's even the best kind. Our imperfect celebration shows us how much we need Christmas. And it reminds us, too, that God is still all over this. God is still speaking to us through Scripture, through creation, through prophets and poets, and yes, even through dreams. And so we go ahead and talk about hope and peace and joy and love, not because they necessarily come easily or naturally to us just because it's Christmas, but because we recognize our need for them. We yearn for them, and we should, to speak of such things so boldly in a world that is hurting is to call them into being, 
It is as revolutionary as, well, as a God who becomes flesh to be in that hurting world alongside those who suffer. God enters in. Everything doesn't suddenly become perfect. We continue to hurt one another. We continue to harm God's creation. And yet, God is with us somehow, speaking to us, breathing with us and in us. Emmanuel, word made flesh. God reached through and touched God's people skin to skin. And so now we listen for God even in the hard stories, even when it's a year for Matthew instead of for Luke. We wrestle with what we hear, we wrestle with what we see, with what we experience, and we turn to the prophets and we turn to the dreamers to make sense of it. We listen for God in these not-so-silent nights, these not-feeling-holy times, and we search for Christmas again. And maybe, just maybe, we come to understand our just being God's people doesn't fix the world. Our being God's people doesn't even fix us. Our, beings, our being God's people means that we have heard God's call. Jesus came not to fix us, but to show us the way. Jesus taught us. Jesus led us. Jesus teaches us. Jesus leads us. We still have to follow. We still have to listen and watch and learn and act upon what we have learned. Our being God's people means that God has trusted us with the original task set forth in Eden to be faithful stewards of the world and all that inhabit it, to protect and heal and comfort and forgive and create and build and maybe occasionally even to resurrect. God has partnered with us, and if that is not good news for Christmas, I don't know what is. In Howard Thurman's poem, The Work of Christmas, he lays it out for us. He says, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. So now today on Golden Rings Day, let us take on the work of Christmas. Let us go ahead and hope, for that is an act of resistance. Let us go ahead and make peace, for that is an act of persistence. Let us go ahead and spread joy, for that is an act of defiance. Let us go ahead and love, for that is downright revolutionary. Let us love, even though 
Let us love in the midst. Let us love because we know. Let us love because we have heard the call. Let us love because we too are prophets and dreamers. Let us love because we are God's people and God is with us. Let us love. Merry Christmas from my imperfect, slightly grinchy, but expanding heart. Happy Golden Rings Day. Keep celebrating. Amen.